On the season five finale of the HR Scoop, I'm so pleased to have hosted a roundtable on all things talent recruitment. I speak with a wonderful panel of recruiters from all different industries, and some of the topics we discuss are benefit trends candidates are seeking, resume tips for HR professionals because we can be candidates too, the influence of social media on hiring, and since this is the holiday season, we end with a few stories of our favorite and maybe not so favorite holiday gifts. Welcome to another episode of the HR Scoop. Today, we have quite a treat for our listeners. I am thrilled to welcome three guests to the show for a roundtable discussion about recruiting and the candidate experience and really who knows what else. So with us today, I would love to welcome Lucy Aidy, co-founder and chief executive soul at Good Soul Hunting, Brenda Purvis, principal consultant of talent strategy at Kaiser Permanente, and Enrique Ruiz, senior talent acquisition manager at Thesis Agency. So welcome. Thanks Thank you. Yeah, so excited to get into this conversation. I think we can all agree that the talent landscape has been a roller coaster, shall we say, over the past couple of years. And I'm looking forward to digging into your thoughts and views because you all have a little different perspective. And, you know, per usual, we'll try to get some real life tips and examples. Um, but kind of where I want to start is we often forget until it happens to us that HR professionals can be candidates too. You know, so often we're the ones helping in the recruitment process. Um, But clearly we all want to grow. And sometimes that means changing up your role or changing up your industry or, or career in general. So I would love to start with kind of your perspective on hiring HR folks. And if there was something that jumps off the page to you personally, or really sticks out when you're looking for someone on your own team or a different, you know, part of the HR crew. And so I would just like to start there because I think that's the last thing we think about. Um, and so we're going to kick off with it today. So um, first of all, how about we hear from Brenda? What, what's your thoughts on this? Yeah. Thank you so much, Andrea. I mean, I've been there, right? So I'll speak a little from the heart, but also I I think when building teams, we always need to be looking for what's going to round out that team. And so in HR, we usually have the opportunity to dabble in lots of different things, even if you're in a niche space. So make sure your resume really showcases that you've got some of that dabbling. And, you know, if you're in the recruiting space, we'll talk about the different kinds of roles you've recruited for, or really incorporate the things that you did prior to your HR role, because you never know how that might round out something on the team. Maybe you were doing some basic analytics. That could be very valuable for a group that you're joining or could be joining that doesn't have any of that. And so I would really recommend as someone in the HR space, show how well-rounded you are. Don't be a generalist per se, but show that you can really lean into the different corners of HR sometimes. And really it's highlighting what those special little nuances that you can bring to the table are. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I I agree. Sometimes we think, oh, if it's not strictly an HR title, then that experience doesn't count. But you really don't know what the needs are and where the the skills and gaps are in the team. Just totally. Good. Oh, who, who else? Lucy, do you have any thoughts yeah. about the HR crew? Yeah, absolutely. I guess thinking of it from my team, the two things that, that we really look for and we're very lucky to have in our team, uh, number one is trust, which I think is super important, um, particularly in this, you know, hybrid and, and remote working environment, just, you know, feeling really good that whoever's in your team, not it's not so much about, they're doing the work. It's more about that they, you know, you've got trust in them that they know what to do when you're not around, especially for my particular team, we're on different time zones. So we need to have a lot of trust that our team is able to make the right decisions when we're not around to, to maybe sign things off. So that's really important. Um, and then the second thing for our team is a growth mindset. So two ways of looking at that, I guess, one being around taking ownership of of your own growth and, and learning and you know, just really taking the opportunities, asking the questions, 
jumping into new systems and things like that. Um, but also what, what we really value is someone that's able to take on board feedback and really apply it straight away or challenge it if they don't feel like it's right and really have a robust conversation um, around that. And then I guess from another perspective, from, that, from my recruitment agency perspective, when we're hiring for clients, I think something that's really important is uh, credibility. So, you know, how how are you coming across, you know, who speaks highly of you and not just about maybe your skill set within HR, but how have you helped the business? You know, how have you been involved with um, different senior leadership initiatives and things like that that maybe sit outside of HR? Uh, we always find that clients really resonate with HR candidates that are able to showcase some examples where they've really gotten involved in sales or um, you know, some kind of business strategy and and really rounded out their HR experience by getting really amongst it in the business. So what I'm hearing so far is that we should treat HR candidates and ourselves like we treat everyone else. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> okay. Okay. I mean, I see where you're going. This is making a lot of sense. <laughs> Enrique, what do you think? I mean, I, I definitely agree with the points that Brenda and Lucy are, are bringing up. I'm a little more simple. I, I try to keep things simple. I think about my own experience and how I've grown in my career. And like, I try to think back to what I wish I would have known, what I wish I would have done. And I mean, to give a little bit of context, I, I've been recruiting for a while. And what the one common denominator from my in my career that I've always felt is I've always deeply cared about the candidates and like their experience. Even when I was a rookie in staffing and back in staffing, it was like, it wasn't good. It wasn't like good to care too a lot because you got to get them hired quick and get them in the door. And like, you can't like, you know, know everybody's story, Enrique. And I still feel like I still care deeply. And I think I look for people. I mean, we all know this, right? Most people in the United States tend, I don't know what the percentage would be today, but people don't like really love what they do or, or they're not fulfilled by what they do. A lot of people in the US, right? And I'm really lucky to be able to wake up and be kind of excited about my job rather than the opposite. Most people wake up and just think about like waking up, making your coffee, driving to work or whatever, going upstairs or downstairs and like not enjoying that, right? Kind of dreading it. So I've always really enjoyed it. I've always like been really pumped up. So when I look for people, I'm like, I want people that I, I try to find the nuances in the people to find like, do they deeply enjoy this work? You have to deeply enjoy recruiting to be in that space. Um, it's it's tough. It'll chew you up and spit you out. So I look for those those things of like caring deeply, being a high level kind of producer in the sense of like getting your work done well, being a good communicator, because all, all these things are the things that I've had to like round up <laughs> within myself. And now I'm like, oh my gosh, like I that's good. You know, having the growth mindset. I've always had that. I've, I've just had to grow a lot <laughs> from where I started. So now I look for that kind of thing. Like you gotta, you gotta care about the people and the company and try to connect the dots as gently uh, as possible. So that everyone has a good experience and it's hard to find nowadays. The person that wants it. I think you're hitting on something very important. And when you're saying like a lot of people aren't really into their jobs or they're not finding that fulfillment in their jobs, you're then pointing to the thing that leads to more fulfillment, right? We know from the research that if people care and they feel like they're making a difference and they believe in the value prop mm -hmm. of the company, that they're more likely to be engaged and stay and be retained. And oh, so 100%. when you're, yeah, so you're looking for that, right? You can you can train some skills, but do, does the person want to be involved? And I think specifically with the HR world, you have to want to be there because we really see it all. I think we can yeah. agree. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yep. I completely agree. And all, those, all the stats are out there, right? Everything gets better if you enjoy and are put, like if you're good at what you do, somehow you can measure that. But really, like if you're fulfilled by what you do, everything gets better. Your your personal life, like the waking up is exciting. The making your coffee is exciting. <laughs> like the driving to work, the mingling with your friend, like your partner, spouse, whoever, like all the things, there's like an uptick towards like a better rather than like wah, 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 across the board with everything. And I, like I said, I, I got lucky at a young age to get into recruiting when I did. 
because I've, I've always been recruiting. Like even as a little kid, I was like connecting dots and people and friends and stuff. And I just got lucky. Um, and that like, I selfishly, I can't, I don't know if it's like a bias. Like I try to f- look for those things with all the candidates I'm interviewing for all the positions. I'm like, is this going to be good for them? Are they going to be, are they going to wake up and be excited? And I tell them straight up, like, listen, I don't need a body. I need a leader that wants it. And they're like, Oh my God. I'm like, no one's ever told me that. I'm like, yeah, like I'm not a robot. <laughs> so I, I don't know. I probably need to learn how to better the, that messaging, but now more than ever, we got more parents working and like, I'm a parent. So like, I look at it and I'm like, man, like I want all the things for you to get better, <laughs> whoever they are on the other side. So yeah. Tangent. Yeah. I mean, sorry. No, I, I love it. Cause we've <laughs> talked about AI a little bit and I think it's specifically comes into play when we're talking about resume sorting and initial screening of candidates and could AI do that? And maybe, but I think there's a lot of hazards and things with discrimination and, you know, that we need to still work out for AI, but the human component that you're talking about cannot be replaced, right? That empathy, that care that I want to know you to know if this would be a good fit for both parties is something we do need in the field. And think about it like today, like think about the last three years and every single person, no matter, no matter your social economic situation, demographic, whatever you've been through the last three years, if you've been on earth, like, I don't assume maybe Elon be taking people to Mars that we don't know about, (laughs) but like people have gone through the last three years, we've been through it together and you don't know what they've been through, right? Like they don't put it on their resume. Like, Oh, I had an uncle and a mom and a cousin who passed away from COVID or something crazy, like super sad things, or my partner has long COVID or you name it. And sometimes people will disclose really personal things during the interviews because people like they're learning how to interview again. And you got to have empathy for the person on the other side, whether it's virtual or in-person interviews, because it's just, it's hard to interview right now. So if you can't have like an empathetic person, (laughs) whatever interviewer, manager, recruiter on the, on the company side, being able to feel enough to make the other person feel like, oh man, they really cared about me. That's good. That leaves a mark for your company, for your brand, for whatever you represent. And I just, I mean, I know I have people and friends in the industry that are like, yeah, I recruit, but it's whatever. I'm just like, what do you mean? whatever. <laughs> like, I just saw a friend at the gym yesterday. We worked together like years ago. And I'm like, Oh, and you kind of recognize them. And it's like, Hey, how's it going? And are oh, you still recruiting for that one company? Yeah. And they're just like, man, like, I work from home. It's fine. Man. I would hate, I like, because of where I am now, I would hate to feel just like blah about what I'm doing nine to five. I think like, that's why yeah. so many people are looking for career changes and mm-hmm. burnt out. And for sure, people in the HR and related functions are no exception. Mm -hmm. And so what I've seen an uptick in people thinking, well, maybe I'm over benefits or the business partner. I do want to try recruitment or vice versa. And, you know, Lucy, I'm curious from your perspective of the agency, have you seen a difference in like what people might need or if there are different skills or really this question is really for all of you, but, you know, in kind of corporate HR functions versus agency functions, are, are there differences that people who are interested in making a change should know about? Yeah, absolutely. I think there are. I think, you know, I think there are a few different perspectives on it, but I've actually personally switched both ways. So I was originally an agency recruiter then moved into internal HR, so not internal recruitment, but internal uh, generalist role for many years, and then I've switched back to agency. And I think, you know, that making that move from agency recruiter into generalist HR was really, really tough. So there were, I had to jump through a lot of hoops um, to make that happen. And, and it took quite a few steps to be able to round out some of the experience that you'd be looking for. And I think, and Enrique is talking about um, recruiters that have empathy and love what they're doing, like that's awesome, and I agree. That's that's what we what we're doing. But there's, as you mentioned, there are so many out there that that's actually not really what they're about. They're maybe more from the sales side, or um, you know. So I don't think it's a natural leap sometimes, or at least in some uh, leaderships here, that's not a natural leap. So we've definitely definitely found that you have to overcome 
whatever story that maybe they're telling themselves um, and and paint the picture of of why there are maybe transferable skills or um, building on, uh, Brenda mentioned earlier, you know, dabbling if, if the candidate has, has dabbled in a few different areas, really highlighting some of those um, different pieces of work that maybe, you know, sit within different functions. So I definitely think, yeah, there is a difference, but I definitely think it's um, able to be overcome. Um, and something else that that we always see as well and have talked to HR candidates about maybe if they're a little bit um, niched, sometimes if you look at a smaller company, they can be a little bit more flexible in terms of maybe moving into a more generalist HR opportunity. Even if you have maybe only been a recruiter, uh, you can get into a more generalist HR role there, build out your skill set in all the other areas, and then maybe take that and use that as a stepping stone into a, a different role. So I think that's a great way of of maybe rounding out the resume if you need to. And then, of course, just networking and finding the people that don't think that is also a great way of looking at it because I'm generalizing, absolutely. There are amazing HR leaders, I think, that really understand the amazing things that recruiters do and how that would be transferable and vice versa. So, yeah, like I said, I'm, I'm generalizing, I think, getting to know people and understanding their own drivers and and the things that make them really specific and um, is really important um, rather than generalizing. But yeah, hopefully there's a couple of tips there for if you are trying to make the move, um, being able to to take the next step. Lucy, Lucy, quick question for you: Like, if we were looking at a graph, what do you, what do you think the graph would look like? More people going from agency to like HR internal stuff, or people going from internal stuff for HR to agency world? Because you've done both, right? Like you've yeah, gone I mean, back and forth. It has to be agency going into it. And- <laughs> oh, interesting. Yeah, I mean, I would, yeah. I would agree. But I'm not but- sure there's a yeah a, a load of people dying to jump into the recruitment agency world, but there are some. Again, so generally. what brought you back to agency? Like, what was it for you? Well, for us, it was that we got to create an agency that worked in the way that we wanted to work. So mm. we didn't have to go down the road of of the agency world where it is. You know, it's all about sales. It's all about metrics. For us, it's all about people. Mm. And we're doing it, you know, like you were mentioning before, we're doing it because we want to do amazing things for for the purpose-driven brands that we work yeah, with and help sure. candidates really get in there. So we're coming to it from a purpose-driven place. And because of the way we've built our business, we're able to do that without having to get sucked into the, <laughs> to the um, you know, the the world of of agency recruitment too much. And I have so many questions, but I don't want to steal Andrea's. Yeah. So I will yeah. I will message you on LinkedIn. Lucy. Yeah. <laughs> I do think it's a fascinating topic. And, you know, you're not dissimilar from I think, a ton of entrepreneurs and startups and all kinds of businesses that thought the same thing. And especially over the f- past few years, when the world kind of shut down, everybody had a minute to reflect. Like, I love what I'm doing, but I don't love how it's done. And so I think that could also be this impetus for these major career changes. Even if, if I'm just thinking still within the HR world, it is from one niche to another within the same area, uh, people really are looking for change and to do it their way that feels more representative, more inclusive, feels more comfortable to them. And that is hugely shifting the world of work, I think in a super positive way. But switching gears just a little bit, I'm curious on perks and benefits because we know going forward that location, work location, remote, hybrid, that's always going to be part of the conversation. But from what you all are seeing, you know, what's trending? What are people looking for? Is it wellness? Is it mental health? Is it company perks? Do they still want like Grubhub delivered? I don't know. Um, Brenda, you're part of a, a really large you know, organization. Are you all seeing anything that candidates are asking for? Whether or not you do it is an aside. I'm curious, like what people are asking for. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think there's two trends that are emerging and I imagine each of us on this call probably have some alignment with at least one of them. One trend I think is people are really looking for flexibility and it it doesn't necessarily meet the the definition that we all might have in our head, but it's it's the work hours, times, days. It's it's some of that autonomy that people are wanting flexibility on. 
Like how often do I have to tell my boss if I'm going to go to the gym during lunch, right? So it's really having that flexibility and autonomy to get the work done in a way that I deem appropriate. And and some people are asking for four-day work weeks versus five, right? Some people are asking, can I work? you know, seven, seven to 12, and then put in a couple hours of evening, right? And I think people are really challenging the status quo because we've all learned that one, those things can be done sometimes, right? But two, we're still juggling more than we ever have, right? We've got this return to a new normal and things did not get easier, the burden of life and work is continuing to compound, right? So I think people are really looking for flexibility in ways that um, haven't typically been discussed. And, you know, for, for the right talent, I think people, employers are getting more flexible. And, you know, I've got an example of one of my favorite instructors at my gym. You know, she works for a healthcare organization and she works in the event space. And so sometimes she is working evenings for an event, but she's also taking the time at, you know, nine in the morning to teach a, a, a class. And so her supervisor creates that flexibility with her. And I think what we're finding is if you do that in the right constructive way, you're helping these individuals build a fulfillment that lives bigger and broader outside of just the workspace, right? So we can't probably I think we all could have some pipe dreams and wish a dream together, but we probably can't create a world where everyone just loves their job, right? Where everyone wakes up and just wants to work and do all the things that your email inbox brings you that day. But could we create some space for people to get that enrichment in other ways, right? So I think that's one big trend we're seeing. And then the other one is I think people are also caring a little bit more about the core of the benefits, right? Like, what is my base pay? How many PTO days are you giving me? Right? People are truly seeing, I need the essentials to be really robust. I need those dollars. And I need to take those days off, right? Your medical benefits, they need to be all there. I need to see them. They need to be comprehensive, right? And so we're seeing this return to core as folks, um, you know, experience layoffs within the pandemic or, you know, working parents, Someone started staying home with the kids because they were trying to do school in the home instead of out in the schools, right? So people are really coming back to those basics and, and the kind of fundamental standard really needs to be strong. I completely agree with that, with that Brenda, from an agency perspective, that's what we're hearing as well. So a return to, to the fundamentals. Um, nobody is asking for anything around perks, um, even things like, you know, pet insurance and things like that, I think are, are great, you know, um, but no one asks for them when they're evaluating an, op an opportunity. I think the only addition I had noted down was uh, we're getting a lot of requests around paid parental leave and like fertility and family planning benefits just to, to round out what you were talking about. Yeah, Lucy, I love that. Yeah, we don't see a lot of people asking for what gym memberships or discounts or you know, those kinds of things anymore. I think people really want, show me the salary and the bonus structure and I will decide what I spend that towards, right? And I think the competitive marketplace right now um, is really going to keep driving some conversations, especially as you see multiple states really, really taking big strides in pay transparency, right? And so I think we're gonna see pay being a really big part of the conversation. I mean, who doesn't want to get paid? <laughs> Absolutely. <Yep. laughs> I've been curious how much mental health would come up in the process because I can attest that once employees are in and utilizing their benefits, it has become the number one question that HR professionals are getting, especially, you know, on the business partner or generalist um, operations side. But that is a super tricky thing to ask for when you're going through the recruitment process. So I guess part of me was expecting to hear that. But now that I think about it a little bit more, 
it actually makes sense that they wouldn't because mo- because of the stigma and the shame around some of those concerns. I think people don't want to lead with that in an offer stage situation, but maybe knowing the benefit package is robust, they're going to assume, hopefully correctly so, um, that there are some benefits there as well. Yeah, I think so. And I, I wonder if there's a slight difference as well between what people are thinking about as a uh, being recruited versus what they're thinking about in terms of engagement and retention once once that in the business. You know, there's only so so much, I guess, that you can be ticking off as you're going through your recruitment process. But but I think generally we definitely are having people um going back to what Brenda was saying, looking for that flexibility and the other bigger topics. So they're not necessarily asking specifically what are your mental health benefits, but more about what what's your approach to to mental well-being and or, or it's something that we would tend to lead with and, and people are very excited to hear about it. Great. So we've talked also here a few times about a personal brand and whether or not that is a pro, a con, whether or not a company should help facilitate that for their employees and the social media and the LinkedIn. And, you know, a lot of the stories that we hear are kind of the do not attempt at home stories like, whoa, please, everyone never do this. Like sending a headshot with your resume, please, please do not do that. But I'm curious on the flip side, you know, with personal branding and social media and LinkedIn, all of these outlets of information for candidates, have there been any situations where that has really benefited someone that you've seen um, in a hiring process? Like it was actually a pro because there are plenty of ways it could go south. I'm just curious if you've seen it go well. I have, I don't have a specific example, but I'd be interested in what you all think about, like, what are you thinking about when you say personal brand? Because my head originally went immediately to social media, which I, I feel like Absolutely, there's great benefits to that, but also I'm I'm not going to not reach out to an amazing looking candidate because they're not all over LinkedIn. But then I was thinking about it more broadly about, you know, is it does it include the things that you maybe do, like volunteer activities or, you know, articles that you've written or, you know, boards that you're involved with more broadly, in which case I think it is, you know, super important and and we've definitely have had examples on on our side of candidates you know, being really highly sought after or moving through a process really well because they have some of those extra things outside of of their resume. I think it's yes and. I think it's both, right? Because there's Mm -hmm. all of it in part of what we have to navigate through because it's still new. I mean, back when we were young, you know, none of, <laughs> none of this existed. So, you know, how how do recruiters and people in hiring positions look at or not look at and consider what is freely available on the internet. I'm I'm sure you don't have time to really go down the rabbit hole, but I'm just curious if it has popped up in a positive or interesting way. I mean, I think the two cents I would add, I think you're right. It's like, you got to have it. I think it's like, you got to have it. And it's more like if you don't have, I mean, at least the LinkedIn, like all the other stuff, whatever, that's your own thing. But LinkedIn, I mean, I I will, I talk about this all the time. Like it's your digital first impression to the world when no one, when you're not there. And I always tell people, it's kind of like when you go on a date or something, you meet somebody for the first time. And if they show up looking like a scrub, like it leaves an impression or someone shows up to a physical interview and they're looking like a scrub or they show up late or they don't seem to care that they showed up late and they're sloppy. Like it leaves an impression. So LinkedIn, I think, is your first digital impression to the world. Um, So if you don't have at least like 60% of it somewhat dialed in, it leaves an impression. Like uh, if they didn't put an effort into that, you know, and then their resume is kind of the same, you're like, man. So I just, I think you got to have it. I I think it's pretty impressive when people have a pretty dialed in LinkedIn in like contingent or like connected to their resume, connected to maybe the portfolio to a, web, a website. Like I, it's pretty impressive when people have it dialed in and, and then they couple that with like knowing that they're talking to me and thesis and what we do and how we align. It's like, wow, it's like a good first date. It's like awesome. I want to go on a second one slash hire manager, <laughs> go to the manager. Right. So I, yeah, there's not a ton. I haven't seen a, 
experience a ton of like, oh my gosh, like I would never, like if they're, if I know just by my expertise in like reading a resume that they're an awesome candidate and they don't have a LinkedIn that's dialed in, I will still make the outreach, right? Like I'm not making it so I need to have a LinkedIn, but you know, it's, it's an easier flow of the process um, when you're able to share the, these assets with managers, with directors, with higher level folks, stakeholders, because then they experience that same thing that I experience and they feel it. Like you get to, people get to feel you. Whereas when we were young, you just had the resume, black and white paper, just bam, here's my experience. And they couldn't really feel you. They just skills, they match up. All right, let's talk. Right. I think we're living in different times and you've got to, you got to have it. It's almost like a version of the cover letter now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's yeah. It's, I mean, on LinkedIn, if you like, you can make a video introducing yourself you can make a, an audio introduction of yourself like so when someone comes to your page you literally have a video that pops up like hey it's lucy come work with my company this is why Da-da-da, like a little mini 30 second sales pitch and not many people have those yet like it's not a lot of people don't know about it or they just don't pay attention to it but like there's a lot of things you could do to amplify your linkedin that when you know a hiring manager or someone with the power to maybe hire when they come to it, it, it like, like, Oh, it's pretty neat. Oh, wow. Like it leaves an impression. It's like showing up to a date, opening up the door, getting the thing, ordering food, right? Like it's the little things that I think in, like go farther today rather than five or seven, eight years ago. Where it's like, Oh yeah. LinkedIn's are cool. Yeah. And if you were today years old, when you learned that you could do a video on LinkedIn, me too. we've all learned something here (laughs) yeah no try it (laughs) well i think you know i've seen i've seen a few people over my career that have really pushed some boundaries on that that branding that professional branding and it's tricky right i think i think we should acknowledge that it's it's really difficult to say yes do it great. It's only going to open doors for you. And also, hey, here's some things to consider about it. Um, You know, some ways that I've seen it work really well are certainly maintaining it as a professional brand, right? And so I think keeping keeping a demeanor that's Mm -hmm. somewhat generally accepted as a professional sort of tone, Mm-hmm. you know, would be highly recommended, right? I think if we were to see, you know, probably late teens, early 20s, really talking the way they might with a group of friends, that's probably the kind of branding you want to keep with your friends on, say, Instagram or TikTok, right? But if you're maintaining that that professional tone, and what I mean with that is really like a, a subject matter expertise mm-hmm. and a poise yep. about your knowledge base, I think that 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 can suit you really well in, you know, a very specific example. I've seen this work well in like the DEI space, Mm -hmm. right? There's just a lot of information, a lot of, you know, a lot of changes and a lot of uh, opportunities to share what other people, other companies, even state and federal legislation is Mm -hmm. is doing to change the space in DEI. I think that's a that's an area where I've seen some folks really have that strong professional brand carry them and they've been sought after because of that. That's a, that's a, you know, it's not a new space anymore. I think it's still one of those trickier, really, really niche spaces where I can see it get a little bit more challenging is if you build up something so strongly and then you decide you want to make a pivot, what do you do with all that that Mm. you built up? Right. So I've seen another person go through that and mm. really, you know, and been with an organization for a really long time, been doing a specific kind of HR for a really long time. And then he really wanted to change. And so moving your own brand while also moving your actual paid, you know, eight to five job along with it is really kind of tough. Right. So those are all things that I, I think you want to think about. And, you know, as an employer, I think it, it also gets tricky, right? Because you, we've talked about this already, allowing people the flexibility to be their whole selves, right? Whether that's just 
at work or if that's, you know, extends beyond. You know, if this is something that fulfills a person, I think that's really great. The consideration is building a professional brand takes a lot of time. It it really does, right? I think the people that we see who do that, they often end up either working for themselves or for a small company where their professional brand is actually helping to drive this this company and in, in what they're trying to do. And so mm-hmm. I think there's just some fine lines to consider. And, and it's always something where you can, you can, I'm going to use it again, start dabbling into it, lean in, try it out, see if it's for you. And then gauge how people are responding to it. Are you getting more networking opportunities because of it? Or are you feeling like people aren't wanting to engage with you? Yeah. All great points. It takes consistency too. Like if you really want to make a personal brand stick, Mm -hmm. you can't do a post and have a thought and opinion once every other week. Right. So it's a whole, it's like a part-time job almost, but to Enrique's point earlier, the people that are doing that probably really get excited when they wake up and go to work mm-hmm. and want to do their job because they care. I agree with Brenda. I agree that um, I agree with most of your points, but then I'll, I'll ask you a question here. But the points around being professional, 100%. I always tell whenever I give my talks on LinkedIn, I like no hood rat stuff on LinkedIn. Just keep it professional. Now, if on my Instagram, that's where you'll see like, me at the gym working out like PR for my workout stuff. Like, but I'm not going to post that on LinkedIn. No one cares. I'm not an expert at working out. Like I just work out. Cause I like to like push it. Right. It, LinkedIn is a little different. Like I've been doing recruiting for a while and I enjoy it. And I like to talk about it. So if you want to listen, cool. If not, you can mute me, <laughs> mute my profile. But what I, what I was going to ask you, Brenda is so making those transitions. What I would, my question would be like, do you think that to, in today's day and age, like even though you might have like a, a thing for a while, don't don't you think that it's easier today, like 2022, to be able to like, I call it owning the gap or o- owning the transition, like being able to say, hey, like I've been doing this thing for a while. I want to do this software thing or to be a coder or developer now. Like I, I think it's a little bit of an easier like transition today than like say 10 years ago would you say so what would you oh would totally that? yeah absolutely and I, I think that there's a lot of different things that have kind of paved the way for that yeah. mm-hmm. but I think when it comes to your your own branding that's when you have to bring in some transparency and authenticity to yeah. walk your self through that with yeah. whoever's engaging with you. I mean, if we want to call followers or <laughs> you know what we want to title them. Right. And I yeah. think that people engage with others because they're, they're, they're learning something, they're seeing something they like, right. Like maybe I'm wanting to emulate that mm-hmm. or this brings value to the current job I do now or want to be doing. And I think really it's that connectedness that mm-hmm. you were talking about Enrique. It's like getting to know a person and yeah. so if you, I think this is where it gets a little tricky again, right? Because we're talking about a professional space, but we're also mm-hmm. saying, hey, open the doors to let people get to know you. And that's how you can kind of make those changes and transitions. But there's probably a pretty fine line there. Yeah. I always tell people, share things, especially specifically on LinkedIn, like share things that you would be comfortable sharing at your office around the coffee table. That's it. <laughs> That's the limit. <laughs> That's a good rule um, of thumb. Because otherwise, and then, you know, you have, as you work somewhere, you start to build those levels of relationship, right? You start to get the closer people to you than people, you know, so coffee table, that's the limit when you're, you know, on LinkedIn, getting out there, you know, talking about stuff. Because otherwise, then it turns into any other, like any other social media platform, right? Well, then but you're also showing you don't have discernment, right. you know, as to what might be appropriate uh for the a mass audience yeah. so i like that i like the coffee table or coffee break room yeah. table rule okay so quickly i would love to go around and hear if any of you have either a start a stop or a continue of things you wish people knew when they're going through either the resume the interview the just the general recruitment process if you if you're like i wish i could just tell people to do this one thing or to stop doing this one thing. Um, I would, I would love to hear it. Uh, Enrique, do you have one? Put oh, you man. on the spot. I, 
please start knowing what the company does. Like when you're interviewing, because right now people, great candidates probably have multiple options. Uh, I'm sure Lucy knows about this, right? Like they're talking to you and they're talking to the other staffing company, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And so know who your audience is um, and know what the company does. Like be informed enough to, you know, get through the interview. Um, I think people should start to like be able to align with the values of the company. Like I could tell in the first two minutes when someone's talking to me that they just, they found me, they just want a job. That's a turnoff for me. Yeah. Those are just two things. I mean, I'm sure there's like a plethora of things I could just go down the rabbit hole of, but yeah, know the company and know the values of the company, what they do, what they stand for. What do you think, Lucy? Well, this one is really basic, um, but it shocks me how often we get feedback around it. And that is um, for candidates interviewing, asking questions of their oh, gosh. Of Thank you. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Any questions? No. No. Nothing? Like yeah. Oh I just don't goodness. get it because um, I thought that everybody knew it, but apparently I don't know whether sometimes, you know, you forget because it's obviously stressful when you're interviewing um, so I want to be super empathetic of that, but just, yeah, yeah uh, get some <laughs> questions ready <laughs> of a few different topics. So then you can jump in which, with the, which with whichever one is is the right fit. But yeah, that's, that's probably <laughs> the feedback that sets, you know, we, that we get from clients. It really does not allow the candidate to move forward and it's such an easy fix. I love that, Liz. Can you imagine going on a date with somebody and then you're like sitting there like, so what do you want to talk about? Like, no, <laughs> yeah. nothing. I just... I just want to sit here. Like that's yeah. We're just gonna sit here. <laughs> oh, that's such a good one. <laughs> oh, amazing, Brenda. What have you got? Yeah, I mean, I think at this point we should probably be done with putting our full addresses on a resume. That for me, I still see. Oh my gosh! And I mean, I think I was giving this advice pre-pandemic, but even now, right? A lot of a lot of work can be done anywhere. But yeah, it's like it's that personal information that probably doesn't need to be on there. I also tell people, you don't need to put the year you graduated high school, right? Like there are some things that even with college, right? The point is you've got the degree. It doesn't matter if you got it last year or 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. It allows people to start doing, whether it's conscious or unconscious math, Mm -hmm. that can Mm -hmm. can lean towards Mm -hmm. bias, right? So I always tell people like, we don't need to know that kind of stuff about you. Like we really just need to know about your work and what you've done, what you've delivered on, what are your strengths, right? And what kinds of people are you comfortable working with, right? Can you present to a team of, you know, C-suite leaders or are you really good working alone in hardcore data analytics, right? Like really describe that to me. I could care less about what your apartment number is and what your <laughs> code is these days. Okay. Yeah. Excellent. All I excellent. I have a question. The people want to know, are handwritten notes officially out and emails in, or do we not care about follow-ups anymore? I think we care about follow-ups. Yeah. I don't have a strong opinion on I've never received a handwritten note, but I don't give out my home address. So well, that's fair. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that would be different now that yeah. people are remote. You're not just going right. to send a thing yeah. at home. <laughs> like we, even when we think about, oh, we might like to send a gift to a client or a candidate and things like we can't do that now unless it's, you know, a digital one. But yeah, I think definitely a follow-up is still cool. 100%. Totally. Yeah. Yes. Follow-up. If you can... Like if you know that the company's local and they're going back to the office and they're mingling in the office, just get in there, drop it off at the front desk, tell who it's for, like invest in it. Like I always tell people, invest in what you want. And if you want that next job and you want to leave that good mark, go get the freaking card from Tarjay and go write it, handwrite it and be very, like if you have, say you like paneling with three people at the same company. You get three little thank you cards and each one has to be a little bit different than the other. Cause if they all open it around the same desk, cause they all kind of mingle with each other at the office, like, Oh, they wrote the same thing to all eh. make a little bit unique, try to pull from what they said in the interview and kind of what you walked away with. So yeah, they, that goes a long way for me. I mean, I got a thank you card from a candidate a year ago, but that got it. I got it like last week at the office. 
because they were just like putting mail for like they didn't know who it was for whatever i was like oh my god and I, I hit her up on linkedown like thank you so much that was so sweet of you like i dropped that off like nine months ago i was like oh my god <laughs> um and now i remember that candidate yeah now she's like in my mind now all the time for like roles and positions so it it's just it's a little bit old school but I, I still appreciate it if all else fails emails go a long way i think still same kind of messaging as well yeah because even as i mean the 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 markets will always shift right if it's a, a candidate's market right now right an employer's market in two years mm-hmm. like that we've seen that in our career mm-hmm. go back and forth that pendulum keeps swinging right and so i think we have to consider you know maybe today a candidate you know might not think it's as valuable but Enrique, to your point, things like that stick in memories and they get drawn upon later down the road. And it's so amazing, you know, just being 15 plus years into my career, thinking about the weird little things that have come full circle. Mm-hmm. And so that email could come full circle for you. I truly believe that. And those are the kinds of, of bridges you want to be building along mm-hmm. the way. Because like there's been times at thesis where maybe like the candidate's not a good fit for like our roles, but because the candidates just like leave such a good mark. I mean, I mingle with other people in Portland all the time and I'm like, hey, like I know this other person you want to and then they talk and then they get hired. So it's you want to be able to keep those little irons in the fire to to help people remember you. That's how I've gotten my jobs. I mean, I'm sure maybe y'all might be similar. Like I rarely in Portland have gotten a job where I've applied to the job. Like it's always like, hey, that guy, that loud guy, Enrique, <laughs> he recruits a lot. Like, <laughs> Oh, it's, it's a like, differentiator, right? It's what sets yeah. you apart. It makes you memorable. And it's another reason that we have to talk to each other, even though we're on our phones and in our mm-hmm. computer boxes all the time, like there is still so much value to the human connection not only in just the regular I interviewed, but in all of these ways that do come back and maybe in a way you weren't expecting, like you're saying, you talk to someone who this person never even reached out to, and yet there could be something there. Mm -hmm. Awesome. So thinking of memorable things, we normally close the show with asking our guests to tell us something that most people don't know about them. Um, But I'm curious if there have been any memorable, we could say moments, gifts, anything candidate related, or just in your personal life um, that you would love to share with our audience to leave your mark on this show. (laughs) Lucy, do you have one? Well, yeah, I was, I was thinking about best and worst Christmas gifts, I think was where we were going originally. And being the girly swat that I am, I sat down and thought very hard about this. And the, the worst gift I I got, it's not really a gift, but the recruiters out there will understand, was Christmas Eve. Eve, like later on Christmas Eve, I had a very senior level candidate who was meant to be starting on January 2nd pull out of their, of their oh, role. And so no. I spent Christmas Eve on the phone, obviously uh. to the candidate and to the client, and then crying on the floor because I'd already been drinking bubbles by then. <laughs> it was, um, that was my worst Christmas <laughs> gift. And then I was thinking about my best one. I've had lots, so that was great. But um, one that really sticks out for me is my little sister because I'm from New Zealand. I live in uh, the UK. I recruit in America. Um, so I'm away from home. And my sister sent me a pillow with her, like a cushion with her face screen printed on it. And the face is like at like least twice the size of a normal face. And <laughs> it crap out of me when I opened it, but now it like sits in our lounge. And so it's kind of like having, having her there because it's a very high quality picture. So yeah, that was, that was basically my last Christmas highs and lows. Oof, that really yeah. kicked us off here. Here. <laughs> Yes, I can't beat that. Nope. Brenda's thinking hard. Hmm. <laughs> Well, I mean, I love, I love gifts that keep on giving, right? So I, I had a, I had a manager who often gave um, amaryllis bulbs for, for Christmas. So I've got a, a set of them and, you know, they, they grow every year and that's kind of nice. I mean, I know I have to be the, the plant parent and their mm-hmm. lives depend on me, right? So it's a big, it's a big responsibility. Um, but I think those things are, are really lovely. And then for me, this is some very 
injury game also in Portland. This is a very Portland of me. You know, if I get gifts that are treats or cookies or things with gluten in them, I can't eat gluten oh, no. and hand it off to my family. And it's like, oh, it's like I didn't get that gift, darn it. <laughs> <laughs> the gift that wasn't. Yeah. Yes. Man, I'm trying, I'm trying to think. I don't know. They're I Disa's gave, uh, when is this podcast launching? I can't disclose yet what we're getting, but we, the gifts that Thesis gives to their people are always really thoughtful. And the year, and this year, the, our team and, and recruiting and engagement, we were like sent as little helpers. Like we have like 300 boxes and we got all the presents. We're putting all the things in the boxes. Cause it's a, you know, just a couple day thing or whatever, but the gift this year is awesome. Like I, it's like this, a, a very warm, blanket that's like kinda, <laughs> i like, think you'll be clear yeah it's like we won't fancy. we won't release it <laughs> i don't do fans i'm just like the most regular guy i drive a camry like i'm just like <laughs> vanilla i like vanilla ice cream like but like this blanket is like whoa and like my first thought is like oh i should, I should probably just get, like give it to my wife you know like sure she enjoys that kind of stuff I'm like, do I give it to her? Like, this is a really <laughs> nice blanket. Like, I kind of want to keep it. And then the kids start grabbing, like, oh, I love it, Dad. I'm like, oh man, like, who's gonna get the blanket? So, yeah, the family I think blanket now. It's like not. It's like big for one person. I don't know about the chicken nuggets, but <laughs> uh, no, yeah, thesis is always super thoughtful with their gifts, and I, I, it's funny. Like, I just, I love it. Like, I, I am thankful for it, and not a lot of companies do that kind of thing. My at another company I work for, they gave me like a little cactus. It's like, uh, cool. Like what message does this send? Am I prickly? I'm like, what the (laughs) hell? (laughs) Like a little one, like a little chicken nugget. I'm like, cool. And it was like in this big bag with all the fancy paper. I'm like, what's in there? I'm like, oh, cool. Hits and misses. (laughs) Hits and misses. Oh, man. Well, thank you all for sharing. Thank you for joining our podcast. I think this was really interesting. I loved all of your perspectives and I think our audience will too. So thanks again for coming and we'll see all of y'all again next time. Awesome. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Andrea. Thank you for listening to the HR Scoop podcast. Please take a moment to rate and subscribe on Spotify, Apple, Google, or directly at webmdhealthservices.com slash podcasts.